All right. Here we go. Welcome to the Blade Fit Today podcast, where we discuss the lively world of historic fencing and everything else related to the sword arts around the world. Today we have with us Chuck Goodwin. He's a champion knight in the Buhert tradition. Chuck is a three-time U.S. medalist and a contender with his team in the upcoming IMCF World Championships held this year in Spain. His YouTube channel is dedicated to teaching and sharing about Buhert and all things related to armored combat. We are elated to discuss with Chuck the exciting world of armored combat and what it takes to be a human tank. Chuck, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, you, you're quite welcome. So, um, yeah, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, so, as you said, um, uh, I fight in the sport of Buhurt, also called armored combat, sometimes called steel fighting. Uh, basically, what it is, is uh, it's full armored MMA. Essentially, you're wearing full uh, medieval knight armor. Uh, weighing anywhere from 50 to 70 pounds, give or take, depending on size and weight, what your, your stuff's made out of. Uh, we fight with full steel weapons, blunted uh, weapons, of course, but full steel axes, falchions, maces, pole arms. Um, and I fight uh, uh, the executioners out of New England, which is the New England regional team. Mm -hmm. um, so I compete locally uh, in uh, New England and also all over the country. And this year going to Spain as part of Team USA for the IMCF uh, World Championships, now which that's, is in just a couple weeks. That is awesome. That is super cool. And um, so uh, what part in Spain is that going to be at? Uh, it's in uh, it's an hour uh, like east of Madrid. Yeah, so Belmonte Castle. So it's an actual medieval castle uh, owned by a duke uh, who holds the event awesome. there. It's really, really cool. Uh, it's very, very historic. And it's going to be uh, teams from all over the world uh, there and all over England, all over the world coming. Uh, to fight at this, um, like the nightly Olympics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's 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 really cool. That is super cool. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are curious because everyone loves armor, everyone loves swords, everyone loves medieval stuff and weapons and all that. And you are part of this elite group of people who decided that you're just going to put your body on the line and you're gonna and you're gonna do this thing. You're gonna go for it. Um, now, uh, the, the format, as I understand, it actually has a historical context, the rules that, you're, that, you, that you guys have. So can you just ex take a few minutes to just explain the history in the U.S. and <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> maybe the history of the rules that, uh, that you guys use and follow? Yeah, sure. So, again, I'll give you the, my best understanding of it. I'm not a historian, so if, you know, someone would probably correct me and get a little more details right, but I can give you the, the general gist. So the rules in general, um, so Bohurt um, is uh, basically um, a melee uh, tournament style of fighting that um, historically was done with actual knights. So essentially what happened is you had uh, a time uh, when you had uh, men-at-arms and knights who were traveling around you know, as uh, mercenaries or a part of households, and they would want to get together and test their skills. And unfortunately, a lot of people died uh, because they were real knights. And so they formalized, formula, uh, formalized an actual uh, tournament format, the melee format with it, which is what we emulate on. And it's uh, very close to the historical um format so uh it's basically team fighting so you have different teams and they're fighting uh differences historically uh, they did actually start on horses often and then went to foot we don't have horses um uh, but they also did just foot combat like we do uh so you have teams and the team size depend on the team of the event so uh currently right now the most common style across the world is 5v5s uh, but there's 10v10 matches. So I'm going to be competing in Spain in two formats, uh, 5v5, uh, so 5 on 5 fight, and then the 16 on 16s. So I'll be in those two different formats uh, at, at, the, uh, at the World Championships. Um, and the, the real major difference, I guess, is that, uh, that you can make a living as a knight uh, by competing in these tournaments. And what would happen is uh, you would ransom other knights. So you'd knock them to the ground and you'd take them and you'd drag them back to your side and you'd literally hold them for ransom. And other who have to pay to literally get them back. And like that, there were knights who made a living just doing these tournaments. <laughs> um, but the weapon styles we use are very similar. We use some, some similar rules uh, to the, to the blade circumference for safety and things like that. Uh, they were blunted weapons as well. They had the, the one major difference between, our weapon sport versus most historical sword and weapon sport is there's no stabbing strikes allowed. 
For obvious uh, reasons. And, and that is the obvious reason of no matter how good your armor is, that's what kills the knight is stabbing into eye slits or armpits or things like that. So they're blunted and they're much more um, concussive weapons, right? So our our, our melee uh, swords are usually heavy falchions, which are basically just you're you're hitting people hard enough that it hurts through armor. Shaped steel uh, bars. <laughs> yeah, steel bars to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the historical format kind of overall. Um, my understanding, again, I'm going off what I, kind of the, the oral tradition of this, is that, um, uh, oh God, it's got to be 15, 16, 17 years ago now, uh, a bunch of crazy Russians found decided to do this and started, they were all just kind of reenactors. They said, we could bring this back, and they started it. Uh, and then now, probably 10, 11 years ago now, uh, the first U.S. team went overseas um, to fight in one of these first events at what's called Battle of the Nations. Hmm. Um, so one of the members on my team, uh, the executioners, uh, Jay Brooks, was a founder of Armored Combat Sports, or one of the founders uh, in America, and was on that first team that went overseas. Uh, and they were, I mean, they were honestly crazy people because they didn't have, understand the rules. They didn't have good armor. They just kind of put stuff together out of like SCA kits and reenactment stuff and went <laughs> over there and just said, this is awesome. Now they came back and built it in America, right? So, and then it's grown all over the world since then. So there's teams in every country. Um, it was teams all over the U.S. Um, fighting in slightly different leagues, but we all kind of co-compete across. So I fight in different leagues, but it doesn't really matter. We're all just here to, to compete. It's a similar rule set. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the history of it. No, that's, that's fascinating. That is super fascinating. So um, really quick, and, and I think most, most people who uh, are used to sword dueling in, in whatever sport that they do, um, they intrinsically, if, once you've done it a little bit, you understand the dynamics of the one-on-one. Yeah. So the the idea of the five on five and the sixteen on sixteen. Now, uh, the, it's basically last man standing or correct. last team standing. Yep. Um, and it's um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's best of three rounds. Is that right? Yeah. So that's a, the the traditional tournament format is best of three rounds. So when we're going to uh, national events or regional tournaments, and there's a bunch of teams, you'll fight best of three rounds against that team. Usually in a pool system, so the top teams out of each pool will progress, and they'll fight each other in a bracket system, depending on how big it is. Um, so that's the that's the traditional tournament. The other format that you'll see across the country that we do is particularly in New England is what we call a chapter match uh, format, which is closer to a traditional sporting event. It's um, it's made a little more digestible for fans, I think, instead of just a bunch of teams rotating through a tournament. Mm-hmm. It'll be two teams that show up. And they're going to fight an entire event against you. They're going to fight a four-quarter event. So they'll have an X set number of rounds or a set time limit, like eight minutes of fighting, a break, and then and That's then a long, um, long time. yeah, you you'll rotate in. You'll have a team of for five. You'll have, t- you'll have up to eight people, so you can sub in and out a little bit. Uh, but you'll do how many rounds you get in eight minutes. So it could be one eight-minute round, or it could be ten rounds, right? Um, or and sometimes it's done as like five rounds or a quarter, something like that. Gotcha. But, okay. but that's set as a quarters. Uh, what's cool with the chapter match format, and I go a little more, is that it also includes duelists. So you're you will have you'll open the the match with a three round duel, and each round you win is worth one point for your team, and then ah. it goes to the melee. So, so the champions combines, come out. Yeah. yeah, champions, or you have someone. We we've built teams that were having a fantastic duelist on it, and they're not a great melee fighter, right? But they're our guy yes. who goes in and wins those points for us. When then we win our, you know, they do the melee rounds. Each round of melee you win is one point. After four quarters, the team with the most points wins. Um, As a no looker, so, this yeah. does sound more exciting. Yeah, it is. It's more. It's more digestible. We do it a lot for. Um, you know, we do local events or things like that. People understand what's happening. There's just two teams, but it's also more grueling because instead of just fighting a three round tournament, you're fighting four quarters and it's a lot. And it's about who can sustain and who can get yeah. through it and who can grind it out. Gotta and so you become a much better fighter by doing that format too. Yeah, no, a, a fan. Yeah. And you know, uh, for people who, <laughs> yeah, for the uninitiated who have sure. not put on this armor, it's uh, and, and I have um, it's, it's amazing what it takes to operate in this armor. Um, can you go uh, just go through that really quick? Tell people what what is the preparation that it takes to be effective donning the armor um, when you fight? Yeah, so let's talk about what. So what most people are going to wear in their armor is um, you're going to wear uh, padded chosses and you're going to wear a gambeson, right? So you're going to wear a padded 
jacket and pants under your armor. So one thing you're always dealing with is heat, right? So part of the balance of this sport is how protected you want to be versus how much you want to overheat. And that can change as you get your experience and where you're fighting and things like that. But you're going to have a padded jacket and pants on. Then you're going to put all the armor over that, right? You know, your arms, your legs, your your gauntlets, your helmet, your brig. Um, you're going to you know, put that on. It takes me, honestly, about 40 minutes to get armored up. I'm pretty slow at it. So I'm looking to do it like 20. Um, you know, but you armor all up. And then you're really fighting the weight of the armor and the heat uh, a lot. So it's kind of you're always fighting against yourself. Um, one of the, you know, for people who don't wear or haven't ever put on medieval armor, one of the 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 uh, lies about it, I guess, is that you can't move in it. You're fully mobile, right? Like we have guys who can do somersaults and you know can do everything in it. Like you have full mobility in a good suit of armor. Um, you know that's why they made it that way. Um, but what you don't have is kind of the endurance of just your regular body. You're putting on that fifty to seventy pounds. Um, and really, it's the weight in your arms, too. Like, it's not just, like, 70 pounds on your core body that you're carrying around. It's the weight on your head, your neck. Your arms get tired as you start swinging things, right, as mm-hmm. you start grappling. So it's about kind of balancing that, and, and, and that's what the weight is. So we do a lot of a lot of training, a lot of weightlifting, a lot of hit and Tabata workouts, a lot of cardio, um, you know, a lot of striking work to, to get ourselves to where we can fight consistently in that armor. You know, uh, the one thing that struck me, and this was this was years ago, um, um, Ordo Draconis, uh, I used to live kind of near there, and, yeah. and uh, I went to a couple of their practices. Great guys over there, so yep. this is this is where I got experience um, doing this. So I had a, a I borrowed a, a practice set of armor, and uh, when you're going through it, it's uh, it's the one sport where I couldn't claw my helmet off fast enough at the end. Yeah. You just feel this claustrophobia, and you just want to tear this this thing off of you. Um, and even though it's got you know aeration holes in it and all that, it just feels like you want to get away from the thing. Yeah, we call and, it the helmet horrors. Yeah, yeah, great name for it. Yeah, and um, you know, I was in great shape at that time. Um. You know, that was probably my peak condition when I was when I was exploring this. And uh, yeah, that's 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 a that's a real thing. Uh, Another thing that I noticed is your center of balance totally changes. You got to keep your back straight. You got to keep your head up. Yes. Because if you if you try and do something really acrobatic, like really get low and, and lean forward, you get over your knee. You're almost you're almost, you've almost lost just by doing that. Yeah, that's very true. It's one of the most common things new people struggle with. You know, we call it head over shoulders over toes. You have to be balanced over all that. And the phrase we hear is "look down, fall down," right? If you look down and forward at your toe, like your head will tip forward, and then you'll tend to get pulled down because you get that extra heavy weight that's pulling you. Um, so there's a lot of work around that kind of balance and how to develop the balance to fight. Um, so one of the things that is a little unique about this sport compared to most other striking uh, weapon striking sports I'm aware of is that we really, and I know, like I said, HEMA definitely has its wrestling aspect and all that. And, and so does like Filipino martial arts and, and, and all that, but we don't separate grappling and striking at all in that, in the melee yes. set of it. Right. So it's all together. And that, and that's part of it. Cause that's the reality of how you would take a night down. Right. It wasn't just about, you know, hitting them enough, it was getting them to the ground so that they were in a, a position of vulnerability, right? So that's what yes. we that's what we emulate. Um, so once you fall down and around, you're eliminated because the idea being you would at that point be at a situation where someone would, you know, take a rondel dagger and put it through your eye, your yep. eye slit, you'd be done, right? Yep. So that's that's the rules. So we do a lot of um, our training around that. Um, we um, steal a lot from Mongolian wrestling, which is a style of wrestling where if you touch the ground, you're eliminated. Uh, the, you know, the Mongols have been doing it for, I don't know, 3000 years. Uh, yeah. So we take a lot of their techniques. We take a lot of, use a lot of judo uh, as well, modified judo, and then a lot of historical wrestling arts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, and the thing that is a little different, again, HEMA, like I said, the point of HEMA, again, correct me if I'm wrong, because I only have, you know, the exposure I know to it, but it's much more about, recreating and emulating and understanding the history of it so it's not lost as well as then using it right the, um, the history we're, in, the, in the duel yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ours is much more about the sportification of taking this thing that was done and saying what would actually work right and if there's something that works better we're going to use it and see how it works we're going to apply it um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean historical fencing to be fair with, with, with hema um, it's like this vast thing. It's this that's whole fair. That's panoply, fair. right? And some people are, well, 
my personal opinion is that it's it's um I just like to fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, if I learn a certain way, that's cool. Right. Um, and so I have to, you know, tip my cap to people who really have gotten into the historical treatises, you know, from the old German, the old English, the old Italian, you know, and, and, and translated this, worked on it, wrote books about it in English. So guys like me can kind of get into it a little bit, you know, so I heavily rely on those guys. But at the end of the day, I just want to learn how to sword fight competently. Like, and I think most people, yeah, it, yeah. is that's kind of where they're at. Um, yeah. Certainly not everybody, but um, but yeah, I mean that's I think that's most historical uh, offenders out there. But yeah, um, but there's a definite, like you say, there's a definite delineation between the sword fight and the grappling. Like, um, if you want to do those two things, typically they're separated, right? So there's like. The wrestling, if you want to grapple, there's the wrestling, or you've got the, the, the sword fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing you talked about, obviously, is the difference between the fact that we're fighting in teams, right? So it's not that just too. me worried about the person in front of me. It's worried about the other four people in a five-on-five five where they're at, right? So my head is on a swivel. I'm constantly aware of field awareness, um, you know, situational awareness, essentially, like where people are. Um, you know, and there's no cheap shot. And there's a, there's illegal things you can't do. Like you can't hit back in the knee, you can't hit groin, but there's no such thing as a cheap shot in our sport. If you can cross check you from behind and throw me across the ring on the ground, then that's good on you. Um, and that happened in, uh, Nash, uh, national to me recently is the one time I had a bad hit where I (laughs) guy got behind me, basically ran a J hook and behind us didn't realize it. And man, he just blasted me across the list. And I was Next thing I knew it was in the air. I was like, what's happening? And I was on the ground, right? And like, <laughs> that's great. Good job for them. They won that round, right? Um, at least they won that part. I don't know if they won the round, but they won, won that moment against me. I forget who won the round. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, yeah, so that's, you know, that's a lot of it is it's about work and it's what working as a team, right? So, sure. um, you know, how do you, how do you build your team? What are your skill sets? You know, um, we have different weapons. So people will use different weapons and different skills based on what they're, they're good at and how you want to build the, the format of your team. There's definitely more successful, less successful builds, but teams yeah. are still figuring out the sport is still new. Mm-hmm. We're still developing it to where we, you know, we're, we're like the, you know, the first 10 years of the NBA, we're still kind of, you know, somewhat we're throwing like, you know, diaper shots and, you know, really bad layups. And then 40 <laughs> years from now, there'll probably be something that's way better that we don't even know about. Right. Yeah. So, well, let's get into the strategy really quick. So with yeah. five on five, I mean, because there is an art to it. Um, it's not just, well, let's, let's go through it. So different sure. strategies. What are some of the strategies you got? Let's, let's start with the five on fives. Yeah. So five on five being the most common. Um, so you uh, said so there's, so one of the things you're going to be looking at with your team is positions. And I'm going to simplify it to probably the easiest explanation of there is on it. Uh, and there's, you know, again, teams are lined up slightly differently than this, but, um, you'll often have your two rail rail people. So they're on each side of the rail on that list. Uh, and they're often your bigger guys, your tanks, um, they're usually fighting with a sword and shield or an axe and shield, a hand axe and shield, something to be defensive a little bit. And, and they're often your grapplers too. Um, then your second in on each side, so your two and four position of your five, they're generally, we call our strikers. So they will often fight with like a three or four foot axe, sometimes a five foot axe, depending on the format. And they're there to do damage. Um, and so what they're in an ideal world, uh, your grappler, your, your, your rail guy is going to grab his first guy and spin him. And that other guy is going to start chopping on him. Right. And, and, and work as a team in that way while trying to keep this other team from doing that to you. So then your middle person, your center, um, they're often kind of your, uh, your team captain, your leader, they're directing people where to go. And they're generally, um, your fast, fast people. Right, your your flankers, we'll call them, or skirmishers, where they're gonna try to get in behind the enemy line and get uh, uh, you know advantageous position, uh, be able to cross check somebody to to maneuver, and that's probably the easiest layout. Um, some teams are very kind of uh, march down the field in a line. Some teams are more like a whirlwind, like they're gonna try to do disorient you and move you around so you don't realize where people are, and that's based on team culture and dynamic and skill set and who you have. Um, I'll speak for myself. I'm a one on our team. I'm the left rail. Uh, and most of the time, uh, partly it's cause I'm a lefty. So my shield is on my right arm, which means that I, that rails on my left, that shields on right. I can block a lot with that shield and I'm very comfortable in that position. Um, often my job is to be in a two on one. So my job on the team is to get two people to fight me. 
So I will try to grab two people or hold two people or distract. And I can generally with most teams, I can stay alive for a very long time with two people. Um, and I will then allow my person to go off and do damage somewhere else in another two on one and hopefully take an advantage and come back and help me. That's so you're the a pain sponge. Plan. Yeah. So a pain sponge, um, <laughs> to be honest, I don't get hit all that often with it either because a lot of my jobs to tie people up. Like I'm very good at, if, I, if the one thing I'm good at, it's uh, I'm good at grappling two people, right? Yeah, so okay. taking people out of the play and holding them and being able to stay alive and comfortable in that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's a skill set on his own. We talk about, you know, just wearing the armor. One of the things you learn to do is breathe in a fight. Right. Yes. So uh, and so one of the things that newer people I actually went down to Connecticut a couple weekends ago and got to fight with some brand new people. It was really great um, to just kind of teach them, work with them. But you'd see them in a grapple panicking and breathing really fast and using all of their energy at once. And I was like, you're going to be tired in 10 seconds. Right. Where I I'll just kind of stay in it comfortably and breathe and go, OK, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm comfortable. And you kind of get that skill, obviously, as you compete yeah, more, you learn more, you train more. Sounds like that's so, an experience thing. Mm-hmm. Still an experience thing, right? Yeah. And just like the helmet horrors you talked about, like people talk about, um, you know, you can't breathe because of CO2 and all that. That's not really true. Every helmet you can breathe in. Uh, it's the panic of not be- being able to see and feeling like you can't breathe and believing it. Yeah. Right. And over time that, that dissipates as you get comfortable. Now you go, Oh, it's just a helmet and you put it on. Right. Um, and that gets better. And there are some helmets that are more breathable than others in general, but not really like visibility is real. <laughs> some helmets have better visibility yeah. based on their, their historical design and all that. Um, but yeah, so you get used to it and you get comfortable with that and you develop that skill and you work better as it, and, you know, um, you know, one of the people on my team, um, he is a, his whole thing, his whole training style is yoga and breath work. Amazing competitor, but he well, never gets tired. Never yeah. gets tired. He is the most athletic person for Matt. I think guys, he does other <laughs> training too, but it's, he credits a lot of his success to yeah. being able comfortable breathing in awkward positions. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah, so I can, I'm just fine. And I go, good. So yeah. <laughs> that works. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now it gets a little bit more complicated when you have 16 on 16. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I so I have not competed. Actually, I've done lot, a fair amount of tens, very little sixteens. We don't. It's it's hard to get that size of event out of a national, sort of national, mm-hmm. but really a, a kind of a world event because we're going as Team USA. So every USA foot competitor who qualifies is going to go. We're going to build our teams out of that. Yeah. So sixteens. What what kind of tends to happen? That's where you'll see the bigger weapons like pole arms come out you know, six foot pole arms um, because you can build a wall of, of shields in front of you and have those pole arms coming over the top or coming around. You'll have kind of, you, you have your art- basically artillery at that point, yeah, right? right? Um, <laughs> so you'll see more of that. Um, and it kind of breaks down usually into uh, two to three sections of the field. And it kind of becomes five on fives as okay. they, as they separate and work around. Um but it is, it's a very, it's a similar idea to the five, just there's more complexity to it, obviously, because you have more people. Yeah. Um, and you add that extra layer of kind of your back arm or back layer of pole arm uh, people. Now, how do you yeah. stay communicating? Because it's, well, in five and fives even, because, um, you know, the sound is denned a little bit. Yes. You you have to protect your eyes. And so you're, you're the window of what you can see, obviously it's different helmet yep. to helmet on sure. the designs. But anyway, that that plays a role. I mean, you're you're smashing someone here. Maybe there's someone over there. Maybe you're two on one. Maybe you're yeah. double teaming. But there's someone calling out. And how how, do, how does that work? Like, yeah, I think that's what differentiates a lot of great teams from um, okay teams. Assuming you know, obviously you have athleticism and skill level. But if you've got that kind of together, I think communication is the is the biggest piece, right? So part of it's literal communication. You've got to remember to yell. Right. And it's hard to do that when you're in the middle of a fight with someone and you see something, your brain doesn't you have to train yourself to communicate in that way. Yeah. Um, So that's a big piece of it. It's just and you have to really just yell. You got to yell over and over again. And then the key is often to repeat stuff. Right. No one picks up on the first time. But, you know, you'll say the same thing over and over again, like help, 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 help from behind. Right. Just kind of repeat it. And someone will come over and help you if if they can. Right. Um, Or sometimes, you know, and it'll be leave me. I'll say it a lot. Like I'll get a two on one and then another guy will come over and I'm in an okay spot and I'll say, leave, 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 leave. And they'll go. 
because they because I know I'm okay right now. Go do something more effective, right? So you kind of talk in that, and you tend to talk with the two to three people on your side. You won't know exactly what's happening on the other side. It's too far. Yeah, it um, gets kind of foggy. It gets too far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what you learn then is you learn field awareness, right? And we'll often the nickname will sometimes call it dude potential. Was what he's like. Do you know how many people are still up? Like, are you scanning the field? And I'll find myself doing this a lot. I'll get in a grapple. And if I get in a spot where I go, okay, we're both kind of stuck here for a minute. The first thing I'll do is I'll look at the field and I'll just count, you know, I'll count real quick and I'll just get, I'll get really fast. Okay. Yep. We're up by one. Good. Or we're down by one. I got to do something right now. I can't be paid. I can't be patient. And you get kind of comfortable in that. And it's not perfect. You know, obviously the whole point is to make the other team lose track, Um, but that's the goal. So I think a lot of it is just awareness and communication. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. So uh, basically, it's just forcing yourself the audibles and yeah. then listening for the audibles. Yep. And that, yeah. So, and every team has their little calls like that they'll work on with the, you know, in their 2v1 or your 2 on 2. Like we have plays essentially, like moves that we try to do when we're in a position yeah. and ways that we'll communicate with each other. But I don't think that's codified. I think every team's still doing it their own. Yeah, their own way right now. Yeah, right, right. Well, the important thing is to, is to do it, to try it, and and yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so. Yeah, that's that's. See, that's fun. That yeah, whole, oh, it's super that, fun. That puzzle, that's yeah. fun. That's yeah. super cool. Um, in my youth team, we we do uh, team stuff. So we use the soft gear, same soft gear that you guys train with. Yep. Um, in my youth class, and we do you know like say capture the flag, and we yeah. do like three on threes and stuff like that, and. And yeah, the, the, the boys, uh, or it's not just boys, but most likely it's boys who, um, have played with each other a lot. They kind of do that more and, uh, you, you could kind of see it the, the more they, they've, they've played with each other, the more they kind of get it and they get that sort of situational awareness. Like, like, like you're talking about, yep. right. That dude potential. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just kind of, and it's. It's hard to have a skill that you like a like a drill that you have for that. It's almost like you just have to do it a lot. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's, it's doing it a lot. I, and we do drill it, but we drill it in a playful manner. Yeah, right. We drill it through games and similar to what you're doing. Um, and we can talk about kind of the training piece of it, too. So we've talked a lot about the fighting and the armor. Um now, again, I will say that like there, there are 100 teams in the country and they're all doing slightly different things, right? So there are yeah. some teams yeah. that are much more armor based in their training um at at the knights hall in new england where i train um we are not we don't usually wear armor unless we're competing Mm -hmm. Uh, we train almost exclusively in soft kit uh we do occasional armored practices like a set practice um where we'll work we'll work in armor but most of it's in soft kit by soft kit i mean foam sparring gear so uh, you know foam uh buffer style weapons foam shields um traditional like um sparring uh chest pieces you know that use for like muay thai or things mm-hmm. or there's ones made for the sport but they're just like foam padded and then like a, a hard helmet right so the big thing is the helmets we use are a little bit different they're not the ones you buy for like 25 dollars on amazon because right. sometimes the, the sword hits will hurt you can use yeah. that and you just have to play lighter some teams do that we you know our helmets are a little bit nicer we'll buy them from from companies that specialize in this but everything else is like you could just literally get you know, on Amazon uh, for, for training. Um, and we do most of our training in that. And we do a lot of games during the summer. We'll do things uh, uh, called battle days, which is basically just one touch LARP type fighting where we'll invite and we'll have all of our fighters. We'll invite like the Nate, like the town to come and people will come, kids will come and do it. And it's all about just, and we all we're working on is awareness. Yeah. Right. So as a competitor in that, I'm not training to win those I'm training to, the stuff that's going to make me better when I do the real matches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the games that we'll play all the time, um, it's depending on the size of two man or three man forever. And basically it's a, you know, the field is a box and you start in each corner with a team of two or in the field with a team of two. Once you're hit, you're eliminated. You go out to a corner and the next person eliminated comes up. You make a team of two, you go right back in and you just do that over and over and over again for 10, 15 minutes. Right. But what it teaches you when you're in that field is there's people coming in behind you all the time and from different angles. And like, you're always moving and talking and working together and it teaches you that communication. Cause that's just a big part of, of any kind of team sport. And this is a team sport. So, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. I like that game. Yeah, no, I, 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 I totally dig it. I, I dig the way that, that it's uh, gamified because I really think, um, I mean, if we're going to talk uh, anthropologically, I, I think that's how human beings have learned 
Yeah. Um, you know, for 300,000 years, whatever it is, right? Um, yeah, we, we learn most of this stuff by gaming, right? Um, yep. And uh, no, it's, I dig it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's super cool. Uh, uh, and so, okay, so question. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing uh, most of your training in the soft kit. Is there, are there specific reasons for that and why? Yeah, so mostly it's, uh, there's two reasons in, that we do it around here. One, we hold a lot of events. Right, we hold at least an event a month, uh, usually two. So if you uh, and by events, I mean actual fights, right? Where and we have, you know, we we sell out events. We have fans. We have, you know, we have. We'll, we'll do a, at the Knights Hall where it, during the winter we'll have it indoors, and those usually one on one matches, small arena. In the summer, we do it at a place called Winnikenny Castle. It's an actual castle that's in Haverhill, Mass. Uh, that's a wedding venue type place, but it's gorgeous, and we're actually helping. Uh, refinish it. We're raising money at our events to, to refurbish it because it's been a little dilapidated. So we're doing this kind of a community service thing too. But we'll hold the big team events there and we'll have 200 people come, come out to watch, right? We'll sell tickets to it. And that's how we kind of fund it. Um, but we'll have those pretty regularly. So if you want to get an armor, you're going to get those chances. Um, and while those are competitive, they are competitive training, right? Yeah. So I'm more, I'm more concerned about look, putting into practice the things I'm working on um, then I am just winning. Now, if I wasn't fighting at a regional and national level, that might be my event. That might be what I do. That's what I'm training for. Maybe I do care about winning. That's totally fine. So it depends on kind of where you're at, what your focus is. So that's the one reason. The other one is wear and tear on your body and your kit. Um, we found over the years that if you fight in armor all the time, you are broken more often, right? <laughs> um, and you also have to repair your gear more often, yeah. right? So um, that that's fighting foam. I can do that every week, right? So I spar almost weekly, um, you know, in foam kit, and I train in foam for wrestling every week. To you know, so at least once a week, usually twice. Um, you know, at, at actual classes beyond what I'm doing on my own. Um, and that allows us to do that forever, right? It also allows people to come in and participate, right? Because armor is expensive and people don't know if they want to do it and it hurts. So if you're really interested in the concept of it, you go, I don't, I just like this. You can come and fight foam with us forever, right? We have people who may never get an armor and they're still knights at the Knights Hall. They're still going to train with us. They still come to classes and they help out and they do the sparring events. So you really have the full the full gambit of everything. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's super inclusive. I, I, I really dig the way that you guys are, are doing that. Um, yeah, drawing in a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks. Like, yeah. And, and, um, you know, and coming back to sort of what we do on the historical fencing side, I think a lot more, uh, fencers, uh, the, the zeitgeist, I guess, uh, are sort of coming around to foam that it has its place. Right. Um, it, it, there's this thing about HEMA. It's like, well, we're not, we're not LARPers. And it's almost like we're just now starting to get, come out of the fact that maybe there's a little chip on our shoulders, you know, because people see us in the park like, Oh, you're casting magic next. Or, you know, saying something kind of dumb and, and listen, there's nothing wrong with LARP. Uh, it, but it's just not what we do when we when we get into it. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. and and uh, yeah, I mean, and that's not to disparage people who like doing that. That's dude, get out there, do your thing. Um, but for some reason, it's it's, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, HEMA uh, folks don't don't want to be associated with that because we're doing something different. Right. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. And so because of that, they've sort of gotten away from the, the foam. They're like, well, we don't want anything to do with that because that's just LARPing. Well. It's an excellent training tool, and that's yeah. kind of why I use it in, in my youth club, and I think that's a lot more people are coming to that type of, uh, of uh, training gear, right? Because what, what, what are we doing? We're training this up here, yep. right, for our sport, and a tool is a tool. And foam is an excellent way, like, like you say, prevents injuries, it's cheaper, it's not necessarily yep. cheap, but yeah, uh, cheaper, sure. Yeah, cheaper. Yeah, but you know, it lasts a good long time, and uh, and uh, you know, you stay healthier longer. Um, yeah. But you're still going through the motions that you need to go through to get to get better. And so, I'm a huge advocate of of uh, foam fighting. In fact, that's kind of where I started. So I um, back in the day, I got invited. Oh gosh, when was this? This is 2017. Yeah, I got invited to go to Poland to get certified for um, a training in MSF, and that you know that's that's like um, 
that's like a prep sport for the steel combat, right? And so that's yep. that was my beginning experience before yeah. I got more into the historical fencing. And just right off the bat, I saw, man, this this is amazing, it, uh, a, an excellent training tool. And uh, I really dig how you guys uh, use that that uh, foam. I, and I'm kind of a beating a dead horse here, but uh, no, I, I I think it's um it's a serious way to train. And I think uh, if you look at any serious athletic, um organization that has a lot of money on the line say like a, a you know football or stuff once you get to a certain level you're not gearing up in full gear during your practice all the time yeah. you're just not yeah i think that's a, that's a, a big part of being i mean not with not professionals but being as professional as we can be it be with this is we're trying to take what other sports are doing well right and yeah. you go you can't you can't kill yourself every week and then expect to be able to sustain right injuries will happen right that you know, we're almost you know all of us have day jobs right like we yeah. have to do that stuff too I um, I and, I, and i feel for hema with that too because i think you're in a little bit of a different spot where like again we've definitely gone to places where people think oh it's a bunch of nerds larping but like as soon as you start fighting you can't think that anymore right, right? like the brutality of it is very different right yeah um so, and I think with Hema, when you're training in a, I've actually, I ran, I, um, my, before my very first long, long sword duel, I still have to thank that I never met the person again, but I was in a park in my town and there were people practicing Hema. And I really went over and I was like, Hey, I have a long sword duel tomorrow. I've never held a long sword. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you like teach me? <laughs> and they taught me about like the most basic stuff and it helped me do that. My very first fight, that was my first night fight nice. ever. Like I didn't have any, you know, my first fight in, in armor. I, I had just gotten a used kit. I'd been training about three months. I didn't plan on fighting for another three, but I kind of fell into a kit used. And they were like, oh, you're fighting tomorrow. I was like, okay. And like, if it wasn't that HEMA guy, I probably would have gotten destroyed, right? So that was a huge help. But I can even then, you can see like three people basically walking through forms at a park. And if you don't know what it is, it's easy to think that's just like LARPing or whatever, right? So I get that that's a different thing. I think the area, the thing that I like about, and again, I talk only about my community because there's a bunch of different ones, but like we're all LARPers. We run a LARP out of the totally. night's hall. We're we learn a huge, you know, huge LARP, right? With it, like, and I go, when I go to a LARP, I go, man, that's a sword training all day for me. You know how many fights I get into at a LARP that I get, like, I get so much swinging and blocking and training out of that, that like, and again, I challenge myself there. When I go to a LARP, I fight with the same sword and shield, essentially, that I do in armor. Yeah. Whether I go against a person with a spear or a pole arm or whatever it is, I have to be able to adapt. So it teaches me those same skills. I get my cardio. I get all that. So like gamifying it is a huge part of what we do. Um, if it's not fun, people don't want to come and do it. You're going to get your three or four diehards who are going to who are just like all about victory, and that's cool. I I like winning, um, but I also want to have fun. So that's you know that's the biggest part of it for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. It's got to be about the fun. It's got to be yeah. about the fun. And if you take yeah. yourself too seriously, man, come on, no one gets out of life alive. Yeah. I and mean, we're only here for a little bit. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I, I I hear you. So uh, okay, so we were talking about training and stuff. And uh, so ah, uh, you know what we're gonna have to do? We're gonna have to put some kind of a link to the uh, the the championship in Spain. We're, um, you're gonna have to give me a, a link. Yeah, I'll when I get the, the show get notes. a link for it, I'll, I'll send it to you because they're still putting it together. So it's it's a little bit unique in Spain. Like they'll actually air it on like the TVs all through Spain. Really? Like it's a big okay. deal over there. But we don't know how they're gonna stream it here yet. So we're trying to get like ah, the actual okay. link to it. Um, yeah. So this has been interesting. So the uh, the 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 IMCF. So there's there's two international leagues. Uh, there's IMCF and the other one, I'm forgetting what the exact name of it is right now, but they're both happening essentially at the same time. And we're sending a, we meaning the USA is sending a bunch of teams to both of them and they're a week apart, right? So we're both going to the two world championships uh, separately. So it's been really cool because we're sending, I think, 140 fighters to these two different world events between all the different events. So like USA is going to have a huge representation. It's really cool. Uh, But the Spain one we've been trying to go to now for four years because of COVID. Right. Right. Um, right. I qualified, I think four times for it or something. And like each time (laughs) I do, like I go, Oh, I hope it's happening. Right. So it's finally happening. So this is going to be my first time overseas uh, fighting um, at a a world event because we haven't had them since, you know, I kind of got into the sport. Right. Uh, My first year in, I, I think it was my first year, maybe second. I qualified for the, the, the U.S. team, and then it didn't happen. So um, I'm really excited to finally be having that opportunity and going to do that. Yeah, yeah. 
No, that that's so sweet, dude. I, yeah. I'm I um I, I'm I'm rooting for you. Uh, what yeah. a, what a cool experience that is to um you know represent you, your team, your family. You know, and uh, and you know, let's face it, USA. I mean, yeah, it really is. We have the tabard. our tabards, our USA tabards, yeah. right? Like we have, um, and it's kind of funny that this history of it is like you know, um, because we don't have a history of knights in America. Right. Um, most of the countries coming from Europe and other all over Europe, their their tabards are somewhat historical to their culture. Right. Like they're they're going to have either pick like a large, you know, um, it's usually not their actual country flag, though sometimes it is. But it's a variation. It's a historical tabard that was the biggest knighthood in their whatever. Ours yeah. is just the USA flag, essentially, because we're like, that's who we are. And Big we're going to go over there. Yeah, 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 you. Coming after you. That's really what it is. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so, there's nothing more yeah. American than that. Yeah, nothing more. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, and we, and we we've we've really worked in the U.S. to build our own kind of culture. We're so big, right? Like we we right. don't have to go overseas to fight all the time, so we go for the big events. Uh, and there's a lot of little ones. There's a couple. There's one in Ireland that we're that some people are going to. That's really fun. I want to go to it eventually. And there's a bunch of awesome things. But like, there's so much availability in the U.S. to do this that if you're here, there's usually a team in your area. Yeah. Right. Um, so you find them, you get connected and then you start competing if you feel like it. Yeah, no, that's super cool. Um, so you mentioned there's there's different um, organizations, I, I should say. So yeah. IMCF, that's that's the, you guys yeah. have been around for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, another one is uh, HMB, right? Yeah, HMB. So that one's gone through kind of a rebuild. And I'm not an expert in this, so someone's going to know the details of it. There's a lot of Someone a lot of that has to do with the Russian and U- Ukrainian war in- impacted a lot of this and who owned them. And so that's kind of fallen apart. And yeah. now it's rebuilt as Bohurt League. Oh, which, yes. Which is, so that's the other large one. And like, that so in sense. the U.S., there's essentially three leagues. There's Bohurt League, which is uh, which was HMB. There's Armored Combat Sports or ACS, and there's a much smaller third league, like called ACW, Armored Combat uh, Worldwide, which is like a sub small group, and they don't really mingle much with the other two. Um, ACS, okay. HM, and Bohurt League, we just compete in each other's events. I don't even know which one I'm going to most of the time. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter. We all get along. We, you know, it just kind of depends on which fees you pay for. You pay fifty bucks a year to be in a league, and that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. We are we overlap insurance and all that. So as long as you're in one of those, you can compete. Gotcha. The only time it gets specific is when you go to the the international events. You have to make sure that your gear matches their qualifying rules. And sure. Bohurt League is a little more stringent about historicalness, where I think IMCF, which is which is the ACS falls under, is a little bit uh, more about sportification, and I think they're safer with their gear. So that's kind right. of the difference for me. Okay. Yeah. 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 Ah, man, yeah. I'm on the safety side uh, personally. I mean, I am fully on it, and I have made videos about it because <laughs> I don't understand. It's the one thing I find funny is like if something is historically but doesn't have enough like eye bars for safety, I go, why? I won't do that. Give me the safest helmet, right? Like that's yeah. just – yeah. So, But uh, it's each their own, I guess. I guess um, so. Yeah. Well, warfare is totally different because, you know, if you're if you're going to war, you want to cover yourself as a knight. Yes. But you fully expect people are going to die. And uh, you know it's it's just a whole different thing. It's yeah. just a whole different thing. So I I understand the historical thing. I, man, I I know I'm probably preaching to the choir. Yeah. As a sportified thing, it's like, don't you want to keep your star players healthy? Don't you want to keep all your players healthy? Yeah. As much as you can, right? I mean, it, let's yeah. get you. I mean, it's a, this is a is a super contact sport, right? Yeah. We're hitting each other with with you know steel weapons and there's equipment failures, but why uh, why not try and mitigate that? And I think that the argument against it is that it really hasn't happened. Like, and I think it's almost like really good coincidence that we haven't had people, you know, with the less safe helmets get really eye injuries and things like that. But it's very possible, and I worry about it. That's not kind of a personal right. thing. So for me, it's about I've like seen if, videos. Yeah, it's so close. I've seen accidental I've seen stabbings, accidental guy stabbing, bleeding, and it missed yeah, his eye. Never, by like but that I've much. never actually happened yet. So I mean, yeah. it's, it's inevitable. Now, again, a lot of the accidental stabbings to. to I always like say that funny accidental stabbing, but the accidental stabbing does happen um, usually in a duel where you're it's long. It's usually long swords because they're and they're they're striking and it kind of slides in. So like yeah, in a melee, the weapons because of the point of doing damage versus points are usually blunter and rounder and heavier, and it's much harder to have that happen. 
like a falchion tip is wide it's not going to go into an eye slot so it's gonna so there's a difference in helmet versus the kind of event you're doing and all that stuff too yeah this one there's a video i saw and it didn't happen in the u.s it it happened in europe but it was a it was some kind of a poleaxe and one of the features of the thing it was like a pointy on top and i thought yeah man why why did they even allow that and that's the thing too is most leagues won't let most leagues won't let you have points on it uh certain leagues won't let you have hammer backs on the back of your axes too right um so and that's That's because um you know people accidentally get flipped and people start hitting with a hammer and hammers break armor that's what they're designed to do (laughs) right so like yeah so it's about so there's always a balance i mean even like we have maces uh that we're allowed to use uh the maces are generally ineffective uh because they have to be so light to be safe that they don't do enough damage to do anything right so um when you see a guy with a mace he's one of two things he's not a good fighter and he just they're easy to use because you don't have to ledge alignment or he's a really really good grappler and doesn't care about striking and he knows that's a weapon he can just manipulate so <laughs> it's like you always go the guy goes across like which one are you like yeah. they're across from me i go okay <laughs> what am i gonna run into so yeah very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, so let's get into the nitty gritty. I, I know we've gone round and round. We've got a couple minutes left. Let's get yeah, into, the, in, into the rules rules, right? So yeah. as far as the rules go, uh, grappling's on. You could do running kicks, but you got to have weapons in your hand. How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So basically you have to have weapon in hand to fight um, offensively. So if you do lose a weapon, you can be defensive. You can block and, re- and remove yourself from a gravel, grapple, and you can either pull a sidearm. So like I'll carry a second axe on, a, on my belt. Yeah. Or my um, yeah. Or you run back to your side, and you're another person who's in armor who's on your team can hand a weapon into you. And once you have it back, you can start fighting. Got so you have it. to have okay. weapon in hand to be offensive, and generally fight in general. But you can't escape to go get your weapon. Um. As far as rules, so like I said, it's it's essentially three points of contact to the ground and you're out. So if you're two feet, and, and are always just, they always count whether they are or not, but as soon as your hand touches the ground, your elbow, your back, you're eliminated. That's your third point. So you can't touch the ground. Some rule sets will let incidental contact. So if like you were making a throw and in the throw, like your hand brushed, it doesn't count as long as you're not supporting yourself. But in general, that's that's the rule. Um, so the two ways that you will generally eliminate another opponent is you will uh, grapple and throw them or leg sweep them or do something to throw their balance off and drop them, or you will hit them hard enough that they're, they will decide they don't want to stand up anymore. Yeah. Right. And the way that armor works is your body doesn't know it's wearing it. So if you get hit hard enough in the ribs or kidneys or whatever, your body for a second will shut down and you will sit and you will think I'm dying. And then a minute later, you'll be fine because you're actually protected. Your body just felt that force and doesn't know what to do with it. Right. Um, and that's that again, that bounce talk about versus heat and protection, protection versus mobility. Uh, you can wear heavier kits that are more protective, lighter ones, which hurt more, but you're more mobile. And that comes down to preference, fighting style, endurance, and a bunch of different things. Right. Um, so those are generally the, the rules. Um, Generally, you can, there's you know there's only a few places that are off limits. You can't strike the feet, can't strike back of the knees, you can't strike back of the neck, uh, can't strike groin. That's pretty much it. Everything else is in the usually side of the neck, but that does depend on kind of the format. But yeah. um, but like you know neck strikes just don't do those because you know, front right. of the neck also is off limits. No one ever hits there. I've never seen anyone turn their head up and take a shot to the neck. Right. But um, but like, those are legal. Necks illegal, and that that's pretty much it, right? Everything else is fair game. Um. Sounds reasonable. Sounds reasonable. And then you vary your um, your approach based on where you're fighting. So if I'm fighting in a local event with a bunch of friends and we're doing it as a show and whatever, like I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to go hit you in your thigh and it's going to sound really clangy and it's going to sound great and people are going to cheer, right? If I'm in a <laughs> national event, I might go for that elbow gap right there where it's soft and squishy and it's going to hurt and you're going to not want to play today, right? And there's, it, it does depend on what your competition and what the values of that thing are, right? So you come out of different fights with different different uh, kind of levels of risk. But in general, um, we call it hurt, not injured. So mm-hmm. you come out of most events, you know, even hard ones, you come out very bruised and beat up, but usually not injured, right? Um, most of the injuries are comparable to other sports. So I've seen a couple people like break legs um, or ankles, but they would have done that in basketball. It was a weird fall over somebody and it wasn't like, 
you know, you did it through a weapon hit or something like that. Um, I, I did break a hand through a gauntlet once. It was, a, you know, I had a gauntlet that was held on someone's helmet and the ax kind of anviled it. It oh, broke yeah. my bone here. But again, it was a small fracture. I was okay. Like, it's nothing major. Um, but that's generally the stuff. So there aren't a lot of real bad injuries, but they happen. Uh, so that's pretty much kind of the, the overall rule set. And, and that's, that's it. Like, then it's about, you know, how do you work as a team? How, you know, do you know how to use an ax? Do you know how to grapple? Do you know how to use your sword or your, whatever you're using? You know, shields are just as good at punching as blocking. So you do a lot of shield punching. <laughs> um, yeah. So it really is a very dynamic sport as far as what you can do. Yeah, oh, and no I mean, joint locks. Yeah. That's the thing I was going to say. You can't do any kind of joint lock. No so you can't. Locks. Yeah. 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 Well, and again, it wouldn't make sense anyway. It's not jujitsu. You're not going to hold someone and have them tap out. But the reason right. for that being is that you can't, people can't always hear each other. So you don't want to put someone in a lock and they can't tap out or they can't sit because they don't right. know. You know. So that's it. Yeah. And, but, you know, you can't see their face really. Yeah. But and, I can't uh, see it. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, you know, just like swords, steel on steel binds, right? So if yes. you're arm locking someone and you're both falling, your arm is going to stick in such a way and they're going to like yep, yep. do something so, really bad. Yeah. So you can do underhooks and overhooks and grabs, but you're not going to try to manipulate the joint to cause pain with the right. joint. But it's almost impossible to do an armor anyway. So I don't like it really, like realistically in that whole grapple thing. So unless you were on the ground fighting, which you generally can't do. Uh, there is a format of, like I said, the pro fights where it's one-on-one fights where once if you throw someone on the ground, you can fight for up to seven seconds with that person on the ground. And you score gotcha. extra points for beating them on the ground. And that's super vicious. I've been on the <laughs> bottom of that one. It really hurts yeah, uh, when someone's just dropping a knee into your chest, you know, and, and like armor still folds, right? That's 300 right. plus pounds of man landing on you. Like, Oof. yeah, it's so like those ones, people will break ribs and stuff like that, but it's no worse than a, a regular fight. Um and again, rare. It's rare. I, I can fight almost every weekend and go back to work the next day. So yeah, that's that's yeah. super cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here, man. This is so fun. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you've got a YouTube channel. We we talked about that a little sure. bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, so so let's talk about your YouTube channel a little bit. What do we find there? What what's your subject matter? Yeah. So I started a wood uh, a YouTube channel a, a while a couple of years ago. Um, what's, it, what's it called? COVID, so it's Woodchuck Nights. If you just Woodchuck Night on YouTube, you'll find me there. Um, uh, my nickname is Woodchuck. Uh, there were three Chucks in the, in our region when I started joining. I'm a woodworker on the side. It's my other one of my other businesses. So I got named Woodchuck. Um, so that you know, so Woodchuck Night became kind of the nickname. And so we uh, set up set a YouTube channel. Um, and I even have a merch store for buying t-shirts and stuff. You want to help support me and things like that. Um, but we did that. Um, I did that basically to help spread awareness of sport. I like sharing and coaching. I'm an inherent, I'm a natural coach, um, as what I've done my whole life at every sport I've been in. And so I set it up and, and really because when I first started researching this, like there wasn't a lot out there on YouTube, there's a fair amount of like random fights that you right. can watch, but if you don't know what you're watching, it's like, what's, what's happening, right? Yeah, right. Um, how do I get into this? What does it cost for armor? Like, what are the, how safe is it? A lot of what we're talking about today. Um, so I just do short videos, you know, 10 minute, 20 minute videos on there usually talk about different topics and it's designed primarily for the newer competitor. Right. Um, I don't do a lot of kind of complex techniques or things on there. It's about how do you get into this if you don't have a team around you or you can't be as lucky as I am where I have, like I said, I have one of the biggest schools is 45 minutes away from me. So I get to go every week. Right. There's a lot of teams that you have to train your own and you get to show up once a month. Right. And you all get together and, and do a match. Right. So like how do you develop your skills on your own? So I teach a lot about. Uh, how to do, you know, sword power work on your own, how to do cardio and workout stuff, like uh, what I'm just doing in my own daily training to help, you know, talk about it, the different types of events. It's really just to kind of educate people on it uh, in a laid back and kind of simple manner. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. No, it's, yeah, good resources are uh, sometimes the simplest. So sometimes people just need to know where to get pointed. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's good. So uh again uh that's uh woodchuck night on youtube is that right yep that's correct very cool very yeah. cool all right and uh also i mean you know traveling abroad that's that's not uh that's not cheap <laughs> no. and uh you know the armor's not cheap and so uh we're gonna shill your uh your merch store here for a second here it's uh woodchuck night dot shop is that that's correct? correct yep very cool yeah and if, and if oh yeah go ahead Oh, that's it. Yeah. So we have on there. Uh, so I have on there like my own um, 
you know, just shirts we've made over for different things. Um, you know, woodchuck night shirts, um, hats and other things, uh, to help support me. Um, there's a great shirt on there called 17 rounds, uh, which came from a fight I was in where we, it didn't go 17, but it went seven rounds where we tied every round in a duel for six rounds straight. Wow. Um, and the chant <laughs> became 17 rounds. He was here, we kept chanting seven, like it was going to go forever. And I don't think I've ever been so tired. It was supposed to be a three round duel and we just tied and I got, and then I, I uh, so, and then you'll, if you ever come to a Knights Hall event in, in uh, Nashville, New Hampshire, you'll probably hear that chant break out at one point. So it's kind of become <laughs> a, a part of the culture. So there's that. That's cool. um, there's also a couple shirts. There's a shirt, a shirt on there for the, the, the nightmares, which is a local Nashua team that is a local team I compete with. Hmm. Um, so we design all, all the shirts ourselves just for fun. Um, but it's really cool. And I like having my own merch and stuff too. So, yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's great. Yeah. So if anyone wants to uh, help Chuck, uh, you know, defray some of the costs of, of travel and whatnot and, uh, and, you know, let's get serious. I mean, he's imparting wisdom uh, for people getting started. So, you know, if you want to say thank you, uh, get a shirt. <laughs> and uh, also, if uh, you, if anyone wants to learn about Armored Combat Sports, uh, in the show notes, we're also linking the armoredcombatsports.com. Yes. What am I missing, Chuck? Yeah, so I think that's um, – the way I'll say with that is also the great thing with that website is there's a there's – a, uh, that's run by the league that, that I, I compete in. It's not mine at all. I have nothing to do with it, but they do have um, a night finder page there. So if you click on it, it'll show you a map of the country and you can just see if there's a team near you. There you so go. it's a great way. And they just updated it last week. Cause I remember them saying like, Hey, we're making sure all these teams are valid. So it's a great way to figure out who's around. You if you want to find out, even if, and I will say like, if you look and go, wow, there's the, the closest team is three hours from me contact them anyway. Cause they'll probably know about another local club. That's just not big enough right now to get, kind of like full team registered that is still yeah. starting up. And they'll, so they'll, they'll point you in the right direction for your region. Um, and then you can find me on, uh, let's say, feel free to comment on any video on a Woodchuck Knight page, or you can find me on Facebook at Woodchuck Knight too. Um, and, you know, if you have questions, you want to get into this, you want to learn more about it, like I'm always happy to talk. Uh, one of the, the best, biggest joys I have had out of doing this now for five years is that there are a lot of people who know me and I don't know them. <laughs> and I will show up at events and people will come up and talk to me and say, Hey, I got into this because of you. And that makes me like the happiest ever because I love seeing stuff grow. Um, I'm super passionate about this. As you can tell, uh, I think it's probably the most fun I've ever had. And also like, there's nothing cooler than being like, Oh, what do you do for fun? Oh, I'm a knight. Like I, I fight in real armor against real people. And they, and then you show them a video and you go, Oh, that they, you really do. Kids right. Like people, big, yeah. yeah, kids. Yeah. And I, I, I do a, and I have a, a great story about that. When my youngest son who, who was in second grade, um, you know, kids will tell stories about how cool their dads are. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's happening. And my son told the other kids that his dad's a knight and they made fun of him. <laughs> and he came home like crying, being like, Aww. nobody believes me. So I called his teacher. I was like, hey, I'd like to come in and do a presentation on nights tomorrow. Do you have time? And so I showed up in full armor. And I've never seen kids' eyes go this wide. Right. <laughs> they were and my son's like, I told you, I told you, but you know, so yeah, like you so that was like the moment that I always get to have. Like I my dad's his dad's show and tell was like coming in in this full suit of armor. Fantastic. You know, um, so it's great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like if you want to learn about it, I'm always available to talk. This, you know, I, I love having conversations like this. This has been awesome. Um, yeah, to be able to talk about it and share my perspective yeah. uh, and get that out there. Well, it's been a blast, Chuck. I do appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, yeah, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, I think we pretty much covered it, but uh, final words. Yeah, so I think I'd say like if you've ever wanted to have the opportunity to like see a really awesome event, find your local night event, right? Um, there is there's nothing cooler than watching like you know literally like I said I you know there are you're between everyone is 200 to 500 pounds of armor, right? Of man yeah. and of steel smashing into each other like it's just a raucous event. Um, you know, I've fought all over the country at different places, and I've never seen anyone disappointed. If you want to get involved in it, even better. Uh, but it's such an awesome community. As we talked about before, it's super inclusive. Um, you know, if you want to compete or just learn, we welcome everyone. 
we have uh, women's teams. We have, you know, we ex- all different types of of uh, historical thing. I mean, from the most athletic person to someone who's never done anything before. And our goal is to have people just have fun. Um, so, you know, and as I talk, are I'm not, I don't, I'm not an owner of the Knights Hall. I'm not involved in it. I don't teach there, but I'm a huge participant and believer in this community. Um, so, if you, you know, it really is fantastic. Um, so, I'd say if you want to get find out more, feel free to contact me or find your local group. Uh, and it's you're not gonna find anything else like it. Very cool, very cool, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Chuck Goodwin, Chuck, again, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. And uh, for everyone else out there, make sure that you slay your demons, and we'll catch you on the next show. So take care, everybody. <laughs>